Hello, welcome to This Week in the Atlantic Coast Conference, the podcast for allsportsdiscussion.com. This is Jeff, one of your podcast co-hosts, and you can follow me on Twitter at TalkinACCSports. That's at T-A-L-K-I-N-A-C-C Sports. The podcast moderator is Matthew, and you can follow him at A-S-D underscore Hokie Smash. That's A-S-D underscore H-O-K-I-E Smash. I'm going to turn it over to Matthew as we get the podcast started. Jeff, can you check in with check it check in with our guest our, our guest here because I, I don't see him yet. And All right, uh, I'll check on him, Matthew. If uh, you give us a little review of ACC basketball I, I, this weekend, I absolutely, I absolutely will, sir. I absolutely will. Give me just a moment here because we had we had a heck of a week here. I want to give an introduction here to the to the podcast here. Uh, we just have an awesome podcast guest coming on here tonight. Uh, for Atlantic for Atlantic Coast Conference, um, really end of the year sorts of talks. Joining us this week is national college football blogger Matt Zemick. You can follow him on Twitter at, at Matt Zemick. That's at M A T T Z E M E K. He's also a member of our team at allsportsdiscussion.com, and he is the editor of Trojans Wire, which is the Gannett Corporation-affiliated University of Southern California Trojans Athletics website. He's written about college football since 2001, so it's been over 22 decades, and he's just been he's just been awesome with us. You know, and so it's just awesome to have somebody like that here on the podcast. But we're having some technical difficulties here. So I'm going to, you know, before we get into the football talk, I want to talk about some ACC basketball that just came through here because it was it was a heck of a weekend here at ACC basketball. I mean, Syracuse just defeated Oregon today by 20 points. And you know what? That never happens. Or they smashed Oregon. Louisville. Kind of came back. A lot of people thought they were were left for dead here, but they came back and they defeated t- t- Pepperdine by by over twenty points. And I want to go to yesterday's action in particular because Jeff and I had some concerns about Miami and their defense. They beat they beat a LaSalle team by twenty by seven points, and I I, I have concerns that Miami could be a first round exit. I I don't think that they play good enough defense to get out of the first weekend. It was interesting. It was. You know, Georgia Tech got a pretty good win over Penn State. That was 82 to 81 in overtime. Virginia Tech defeated Vermont by over 20 points in a game that a lot of people thought was going to be pretty tricky for the Hokies, but they they had 10 different players score. They played excellent basketball on offense, on defense, uh, offensive and defensive rebounding. They didn't turn the ball over. They played perhaps the most complete game of the season against the Vermont team. That's probably going to get an auto bid to the auto bid to the ACC. And I see Matt Zemick. I see him maybe joined by email or something. Do you see that, Jeff? And I see Matt. I think I see Matt Zemick here with us. Matt Zemick, can you hear yeah, us? Buddy? I can hear you guys. Awesome! Wow! Welcome. We got you here, friend. We got you here. We I did it. Long, <laughs> I got you a long intro. I gave a good, good long intro to you here, so we're happy you're here with us. I'm just running through a couple of ACC basketball scores here. I was a little surprised to see 
uh, Virginia struggle hard with Northeastern, and the, and it tells me that that Virginia perhaps doesn't. You know, it 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 almost it feels like a little bit of a regression to some of Tony's earlier year, years when they didn't have the shooters, and they relied on their defense to to win. And they're going to have to really pick up the shooting if they want to have a decent second half of the season. That was a lot closer than it should be. Now, fair enough, it is during break. You know, students aren't there. You know, you're you have. You know, you've had a long, you know, a long season with that. Not a, not a lot of two, not a lot of breaks before the before the middle of the year. Everybody wants to get home and have fun, fun with their families during the holiday season. So they've had a lot going on, but that game was a little closer than I thought it would be. North Carolina and Kentucky were very that was that felt like a, a second weekend NCAA tournament game, and uh, North Carolina lost that game by boy four points, but it was a it was much closer than I, that was a, that was a, a very, very close matchup and it was competitive throughout the way. And finally, Tennessee beat N- NC state in a game that I, I didn't think, I didn't, th- I didn't really think it was going to be that close. So that's kind of where we're sitting here, but Matt Zemek, welcome back to the all sports discussion, ACC podcast. Tell us about yourself, what you've been up to, where you've been to school, and what's what you got going on now. I talked about your work at, at, at Trojans Wire, but you've been with us for several years. And give us the breakdown on your background here, friend. The floor is yours. We love it. Yeah, well, you know, so I'm from Pac-12 country, uh, born in, in Phoenix and lived in Seattle for about 20 years. Uh, went to Seattle University, um, you know, to, for, for college. And so, you know, the Pac-12 dying like that hits close to home, and of course, like you, you guys uh, in the ACC, you're about to enjoy uh, road trips to Stanford and Cal, uh, also SMU, and um, you know it's been great to work with you guys at All Sports Discussion, and uh, I have to say that you know even though you know Trojans Wire ostensibly is about USC, I mean. You know, we cover Pac-12 realignment and, you know, the death of the Pac-12 and George Klyavkov and all the, the media rights deal and all that stuff over the summer. And, you know, in 2022, when realignment just went out of control with USC and UCLA moving to the uh, Big Ten, you know, we, we I really uh, relied on your analysis at all sports discussion for, you know, the ACC realignment questions and some articles that I wrote at Trojans Wire about ACC realignment and the future of realignment were some of our most read stories. So it's, it's just uh, fascinating how, you know, there's a national appetite uh, in ACC country for what goes on in the Pac-12, and there's an appetite among Pac-12ers at Trojans Wire for what's going on in the ACC. I mean, people are really interested in this stuff. I mean, I know that it's like a headache, but, you know, it's still, the, it's like a kind of thing that you can't, turn away from. I forget who it was who said it, guys, but realignment is like soap opera, soap operas for men. Um, you know, the uh the uh, Academy Awards and and like the red carpet show, like that's the Super Bowl for women. Realignment is basically like, you know, soap operas and daytime television for men. Uh and anyway, you guys at All Sports Discussion have been uh great partners uh, for me personally, but also Trojans Wire. Um, you know, when we would write something about the ACC, uh, when we would write something about Florida State and Clemson, like, you know, when when Florida State got snubbed for the playoff, and I know that's something we're going to be talking about later on this show, um, you know, I said, you know, this could affect the the time clock and the the, the uh, timeline 
for realignment. So wrote a story at Trojans Wire about that, and hundreds, hundreds of thousands of people read that story. And you know that that that's uh, it's just fascinating how the ACC and the Pac-12. I mean, they're going to be married now through the arrival of Stanford and Cal. But uh, on a broader level, even beyond that specific point, there already is coast-to-coast uh, interest in these sort of things. So it's just fascinating how it works out. And you guys have just been fantastic partners the whole way. And it's great to continue uh, uh, you know, my professional relationship with you and for us to do our uh, you know, mid-December, pre-Christmas, pre-New Year's show with you guys. Thanks again for joining us, Matt. Jeff, you're up. All right. Thanks, Matthew. And and Matt, just from our side, you know, we definitely think the, the world of you and, and the work that you've done, been following you since your college football news days. And I mean, if it was if it was Pac-12 related or anything on the on the West Coast or anything college football related, um, we were we were following what you had to say. We're, we're so looking forward to hearing your your thoughts here on uh, the, the questions that we have. So let's jump right into it. Uh, Give us your thoughts on the college football playoff selections. Um, what do you feel about the committee's job? Did any team <coughs> FSU get snubbed? Uh, maybe even Georgia. Is there any criteria out there that you think needs to be improved for selecting <laughs> the playoff teams? Well, you know, <laughs> the criteria, the main criterion that should be uh, presented is if you went uh unbeaten you should get in over a team that lost once that that should be number one and yet of course that was pretty straightforward there (laughs) (laughs) yeah really right like it's kind of like you know i i remember i was in college and there was like a an, an accident like there were some daredevil college students who were sliding down uh the banister of of a of a of a hallway of you know of like an educate an educational building uh, on campus, you know, at, coming out of classrooms, and someone put up a sign: "Don't slide on banister." Like a, as though you have to tell someone that. You know, it's kind of like putting up a sign saying, "Don't touch a stove while it's hot." You know, do we do we really have to say these things? Apparently, we do for the college football playoff committee. You know, unbeaten Florida State should have gotten in uh, over. Uh, one loss Alabama, like, you know, but it shouldn't have to be said, but I guess it does. And, and that brings me to my central point. Well, two central points. The first central point is that we have to go back to 2014, the first year of the playoff, you know, and, and that whole process. And in year one, it should have been apparent to everyone how that all went down. Remember with TCU, Baylor and Ohio state, also, Florida State. You know, Florida State was unbeaten and yet got seated third and had to travel to Pasadena to play Oregon in the Rose Bowl instead of going to the Sugar Bowl. You know, Florida State should have been in the Sugar Bowl uh, playing, um, you know, the, the four seed. And, and Alabama should have gone to Pasadena to play Oregon. But, you know, and so Florida State it was unbeaten that year and still didn't get treated right. So that's kind of an interesting side note. But the main point, of course, is that you know, TCU, if you remember, TCU was number three in the next to last ranking show that year. TCU then beats Iowa State uh, by like 50, 52 points uh, in its final game. And yet TCU goes from three to six. And like, 
all of us who followed college football for a long time, like we could do the math. You know, TCU got snubbed because it was TCU, not Texas. Like Texas would not have been snubbed if it was in TCU's position in 2014. Same for Oklahoma. Um, but because it was TCU, yeah, put in Ohio State against Alabama uh, in the Sugar Bowl. It's going to get bigger TV ratings. And so we like we learned in that first year of the playoff that this was a TV show. It was an ESPN show. And here we are nine years later and nothing has changed. Uh, this was a decision to snub Florida State made for TV ratings. And, and I, we don't have to explain it. We know why. You know, Florida State had an injured quarterback. It wasn't going to make for great television. So who cares that Florida State earned it on the field? Who cares that Florida State went unbeaten? Who cares that Florida State won the ACC championship? Who cares that Florida State gutted it out uh, in two non-home games, you know, at Florida and then uh, on in Charlotte for a neutral site game without, you know, its, its best quarterback? Um, who cares? Who cares about what you achieve? Who cares about what you earn? It's all about that it's a television show. And so in 2014, you know, I was hoping that the system, the process would be objective. Like here is the number one basis for inclusion or exclusion. Here's the number two basis. Here's the number three, four, five. You know, it always, always, if this was a fair, objective process, if everyone involved really was concerned with objectivity, and rewarding what teams did on the field. That's how it would have been. Like here are five, here are the five main uh criteria and you know starting with number 1, then number 2, then the number 3. And so that way you can go, all right, so if number 1's a tie, we go to number 2. If number 2's a tie, we go to number 3 and so on. If it was objective and clear and everyone knew the rules and everyone was operating uh by the same formulas, the same guideposts, you know, then there wouldn't be confusion. But isn't that the point, right? That ESPN to gin up excitement and controversy, you know, first take, you know, that all that crap, um, because ESPN wants controversy and wants people to be mad at each other rather than having an actual fair, objective process. ESPN wasn't going to put rules and clear uh, guide guideposts and guardrails into this process. It was just going to be the free for all that we've always, always had in college football and all, all, you know, through the poll and bowl system and even into uh, the bowl Alliance and bowl coalition. And then the BCS, it's always been like this. It's always been just the food fight. You know, one year, if you're, if you're uh, an sec team, that's uh, uh, played a tough schedule and you have one loss, you know, you'll make the, you'll make the arguments about, well, we have the quality loss. You know, we have the best loss in the field. But then the next year, you know, Alabama plays a cupcake schedule and it's not the same. And you're going to go by, you know, like what would Vegas have us uh, favored by on a neutral field? And like each each year, we all know this, people from specific schools or specific conferences, you know, if they flip flop positions, they just change the arguments that, you know, one year you you use this argument and the next year you use the different argument and there's never any consistency but ESPN and the playoff, they wanted it this way. They did not want to have objective criteria where you could just go look at a sheet and say, okay, this is item number one. This is the main basis for selecting teams. If it was that clear cut, like there's no debate, right? There's no controversy. It would just be, okay, we plug this team in as the first seed, this team in as the second seed, and, and so on. 
But ESPN in the playoff never did want it. And so we all have to go back to 2014 to remind ourselves ESPN in the playoff never wanted objectivity. They never wanted fairness. They wanted the best uh, television product. But here, now, and here's the other, that's my, that's one of my two central points. The second central point is going to be much simpler. And that is that this was not just a snub of a team. All right, I want to make that very clear. And it's not because you're an ACC podcast, guys. It's it's like I I would be saying this to anyone and everyone, you know, who would ask me about uh, the the playoff selection process of 2023. I, I would tell this to anyone on earth, anyone on the planet. This was not a case of oh well, the committee thought that you know Alabama should get in instead of Florida State, you know, and there were these factors and there were those factors and there were you know certain uh, items in play. And the committee just valued certain things over others. No, we should never, ever talk about this or think about this as, you know, just yet another uh, snub or yet another, you know, uh, inconsistent uh, decision by the playoff committee. No, this was a disgrace. This was a disgrace unlike anything else I've ever seen. And I know that 2001 Nebraska getting in was really bad. You know, Nebraska making the BCS national championship game after losing 62-36 to Colorado. And I know that 2003 Oklahoma getting in was really bad as well, losing 35-7 to Kansas State in the Big 12 title game, but still getting in uh, the 2004 Sugar Bowl against LSU. And I know that we've had other, you know, really, uh, you know, controversial uh, incidents in, in the past, like, you know, BYU and Washington never playing in 1984, uh, and and uh, numerous other uh, national championship controversies that we've had through the decades. But in those instances, you know, it was just the wild, wild west, right? Like the poll and bowl system, we knew it was just a mess. We knew it was a political free-for-all, kind of like the Heisman Trophy voting, you know, where you just where the concentrations of voters in certain parts of the country is going to, you know, help shape, you know, who who wins the prize and who finishes second. We, we, like we knew that in the 1980s, 1990s, before the BCS came. Um, but this in 2023, this is entirely different. This was just uh, basically anti-competitive. Uh, I, I mean, if if you were to say was this a criminal act, I, I would not really oppose that. I I would say you know you could actually make a case for that because like the ACC got robbed. No, I mean no. Genuinely robbed of money, uh, you know, revenue at a time when the conference can certainly use it. Of course, um, you know, not only does Florida State not get, uh, the, you know, the the playoff recognition and all of the extra publicity uh, that comes from that, but also Louisville doesn't get the Orange Bowl bid as a result, and and so that costs. Louisville uh, real money and it costs the conference money because it doesn't have those two New Year's six bids. It gets only one. Um, and this was all because, you know, some some guys in a room wanted to do ESPN's bidding as a corporate entity. I mean, that that to me that like that's cheating. That is corruption. Uh, I, I really would not back off from the idea that this was criminal. And it's been interesting to see. Some commentators say, oh, well, yeah, and look, I'm no fan of Senator Rick Scott from Florida uh, or, or uh, Ron DeSantis, the, the governor of Florida, 
But the fact that they're up in arms about this, and people will say, well, it's just cheap photo op politics. And to a certain obvious extent, that's true. Well, we, we, I'm, like, I'm not going to pretend it, it isn't. They're not trying to get a cheap uh, little political uh, ego boost and, and make themselves look good. They are. But like, th- like this definitely hurt Florida State's prestige and it hurt the ACC's prestige. And I really do think that there should be some sort of uh, antitrust, anti-competitive uh, legal arena for Florida State and the ACC to both make a case. Like, I think there is certainly uh, room here and there's legitimate reason here for litigation and suing for damages, you know, suing for lost income, lost revenue uh, on the part of both Florida State and the ACC. And let's uh, connect this to, to an even bigger picture. Like, I think this is going to speed the clock for Florida State to try and get out of the grant of rights and get out of the ACC as soon as possible. Like, I think this this event right here has imperiled the very existence of the ACC significantly. Like, I think this this puts so much more pressure on, you know, Florida State's trustees and, and, and main power brokers to find a path to the Big Ten or find a path, any kind of path out of the ACC into what is viewed as a as a more friendly uh, revenue generating uh, environment. So I think you can gather, guys, from everything that I've said and from all the you know unique details of this uh, situation, we should not think of this or talk about this as just another really bad playoff snub. No, this belongs in a really different, really separate category, and I want people to stop and really absorb that point. This was not just the latest in a line of bad playoff decisions. This was crossing a bright red line. You know, the, like the, it's, t- it's touching the third rail. It's doing something that should never, ever be done. It's doing really, in many ways, the unthinkable that you have an unbeaten Power Five champion while you have a one loss team somewhere else and you actually leave that unbeaten power five champion out of the playoff just for entertainment perp and rev and uh, revenue purposes like that is that that's you know this is this does not apply to nebraska 2001 this does not apply to oklahoma 2003 this does not apply to any of the other situations we've had in the playoff era or the bcs era it really does belong in its own separate category Wow, that was outstanding, uh, Matt. I don't, I don't, you know, I, I couldn't even have put it together, you know, any better than what you you said. Uh, the only thing I'm going to add is is today I saw um, um, Kirk Herbstreet doing an interview where he all but admitted uh, how much influence ESPN had put on the committee to put the four best teams into the playoff and talked about having repeated discussions with the committee, um, even the mere insinuation that ESPN spoke to the committee is enough for me to know that the entire system has absolutely no credibility or integrity. There is no way that a network should even have one word of a discussion about any playoff participants in any way whatsoever. Um, and by him saying that, and, and more than one 
ESPN person has more than admitted that they've had conversations, but he basically just threw it out there. Um, the the selection uh, of the current four playoff teams has absolutely no credibility at all in my eyes. Um, Matthew, you have uh, something you want to add before we move on? Sure, and I agree with everything that you both said, Matt and Jeff. The one co- and I would argue, because I've mentioned this on Twitter before, that I think that this is the reason that we have 12 playoff teams next year, right? Because ESPN knew that they were going to get into this. They knew that there would be a potential FTC sort of antitrust lawsuit. I'm talking about the Federal Trade Commission here. When I say FTC, I'm sorry, I should clarify that. And hence the reason that they have a 12 team playoff. So, so if they were to get sued, I'm not an attorney, but if they were get you know, but I know how the FTC works. If they were to get sued, they can say that they have a solution already in the court. And so this is why I'm kind of, I'm kind of, and I agree with everything that you say, but they've also provided a remedy now. And I hate that I'm, I hate that I'm saying that, Matt and Jeff. Is it, is All it right. terrible? Oh, go ahead, Matt. Matt Zimmick. Is that terrible of me to say that? No, not at all. Because I, because I, everything you guys said was right, but they can say that they've provided a remedy with an, with a new expanded playoff. And, and they, I think that they would be uh, on ground of saying that they provided su- sufficiency. That doesn't make, that doesn't mean that they made up for the egregious decision this year, and and I, I would actually like to see somebody try to see to sue them, but they'll say in court that they provided a remedy anyway. Uh, that's all I have there, and it makes me sad that I'm saying that and cynical, probably because I've lived in this city too long. Yeah, I don't I don't know how any um even the most casual sports fan can't can't look at what happened here with with cynicism unless maybe you're an alabama fan i guess but that, that's about it um all right i mean we can talk about th- that subject forever and it deserves to be be talked about um but we, we want to want to we have uh, some other thoughts from matt that we want to get here on this podcast all right matt review the acc football season with us who is your team of the year and which team uh, disappointed you the most? Well, I, you know, in terms of the, the disappointment, like it seems as though, as though it's almost an, an annual thing uh, at this point, but Mac Brown and the North Carolina Tar Heels, you know, you had Drake may uh, coming back and, you know, you have so much talent and you, and, but I mean, you like, you have that great field general and let's stop for a moment and realize that, you know, the ACC is getting uh, Kyle McCord. You know, he's transferring to Syracuse. And Ohio State was held back by Kyle McCord this season. And just stop for a moment. What if um, North Carolina, uh, ha- or, or excuse me, what, what if Ohio State had Drake May, right? If Ohio State had Drake May, Buckeyes are probably the number one seed. Like, they are probably... Uh, you know, the heavyweight, they probably beat Michigan. They're probably, you know, the favorite to win the whole thing. Uh, now, I know that North Carolina does, isn't going to have, you know, the, uh, you know, isn't going to be as good as Ohio State at every position, but still, North Carolina, and I, hey, you know, like I'm at Trojans Wire. So, like Lincoln Riley had Caleb Williams, wasted him too. 
So like it's not as though USC is uh, gets off scot free here. USC was by far the most disappointing team uh, in the Pac-12. But like so, there's a linkage between USC and North Carolina having these Cadillac quarterbacks, which you know they don't come around very often. You know Drake May is special, probably going to be a number two, maybe number three pick at at worst. So he's definitely going to be a top three pick, and you can't come particularly close to. Uh, uh, a New Year's Six Bowl game, which, you know, is not uh, a routine occurrence uh, for North Carolina. I mean, forget about making the playoff, just getting a New Year's Six Bowl like that. You know, that that's something you should be able to do uh, with Drake May in a conference where, let's keep in mind, Clemson, you know, has struggled the past few seasons uh, with Dabo refusing to heavily use the portal and Miami and Mario Cristobal have struggled like for North Carolina to not be uh, the clear-cut, you know, other m- major ACC powerhouse um, in a year when you know, or, or in a time when Clemson uh, and Miami uh, have struggled, you know, that is just a massive wasted moment. It's a massive wasted uh, opportunity um, for for Mac Brown, and so that it it, it keeps happening again. And it's really hard to see uh, how this pattern isn't going to repeat itself. And, of course, North Carolina is not going to get a quarterback as good as Drake May, most likely, uh, the next few seasons. So, you know, it really seems as though this was a moment where, you know, it might have been Mac Brown's really last big chance to grab the brass ring. I know he recruits well. I know he can sell ice to Eskimos. You know, like he he's always had that gift as a recruiter. But at some point, you got to coach him up. And Mac Brown really missed his chance with these two seasons uh, of Drake May. In, in terms of a, a broader overview of the con- of the conference, and I know that you know we'll talk about a few specific things, but I think it's just notable that teams in difficult and worrisome positions entering this season they generally improved themselves. You know, Tony Elliott worked himself off the hot seat at Virginia. Jeff Halfley cooled down his seat at Boston College by getting to a to a bowl game. I know that the end of the season didn't go great for him, but like he seemed to be in real trouble early in the year and he and he was able to get to a bowl game uh you know quieting things down a little bit. Maybe not a ton, but at least a little bit. Um Virginia Tech. Virginia now Virginia Tech might have made the biggest leap forward uh i know that's gonna make uh hokey smash really happy um you know that that you know virginia tech is is a serious contender for the acc championship game uh in 2024 with all the skill position talent that's coming back so brent pry you know made a big forward jump uh this season uh, Brent Key, I know that Jeff has to be, you know, pleasantly surprised that that Georgia Tech, even you know, despite the Boston College and Bowling Green games, which were embarrassing, but you know, beat North Carolina, uh, played some other really good games to to get to a bowl game. So uh, Brent Key, you know, did a did a decent job, not a spectacular job, but a decent job. It's certainly an improvement over uh, Jeff Collins. So that program seems to be moving at least a little bit. Uh, in the right direction. You know, Duke had another good year. Obviously, Mike Elko's off to Texas A&M. We'll see what Manny Diaz does. But like Duke's, you know, Duke had a really strong 2022 and it was the same high quality 
in 2023 before the Riley Leonard uh, uh, injury uh, came up. So, you know, really throughout the conference, I mean, Syracuse was the exception to the rule, but, you know, generally coaches improved their standing. If they were on uncertain footing, uh, coaches were generally able uh, to improve their situation. So I think that's one of the bigger stories in terms of, you know, not the not not the top of the ACC, but the whole of the ACC in terms of all the teams in the conference. Most of them had coaches who took uh, some really positive forward steps in 2023. All right, very good. Um, Matt, who is your ACC football coach of the year, and who is on the hot seat for 2024? Well, let me deal. Let me deal with the hot seat part of it. I, I think I think there's no really, really uh, flaming hot seat other than other than Mario Cristobal. I think uh, you know if Cristobal keeps muddling along, like there's only so much rope uh, he can get for for you know what's going on down there. And of course, you have Tyler Van Dyke transferring out uh, to Wisconsin, but. Like this is definitely a crisis with uh, Cristobal that, you know, he's 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 remembered as the guy who at Oregon, you know, limited Justin Herbert. Like Oregon uh, under Cristobal had Herbert, you know, throwing checkdowns and screens, and like he really didn't get to show off his arm. Um, and but now you know we see the quarterback Herbert is uh, in the NFL, but like Cristobal really, you know. Put a put a, a muzzle on him, so to speak, and that that is has just continued coming over to Miami. That you know he might get some really raw, natural, enticing uh, talent at quarterback, but he would and, and you know he's had different offensive coordinators, so it's really not as though this is a coordinator issue. It's Mario Cristobal runs his operation in a certain way that his quarterbacks simply aren't in a position to shine. And if you're a quarterback prospect, you're looking at this and you're saying, why would I ever play for this guy? You know, it, it just doesn't make sense. So I think crystal ball is definitely painting himself into a corner in Miami, but elsewhere around the league, I really don't sense overly uh, tense or uh, really uh, contentious situations. Maybe Jeff Halfley at Boston college, maybe, but, you know, he, if he can continue to get Boston College to a bowl game, like, I, I don't know if that's going to be enough to, to, for the fan base to, and the donor base to want him uh, out. I think he can still manage if that's something he's able to do regularly. And as I remarked earlier, you know, Tony Elliott definitely cooled off his hot seat with the way he had Virginia competing late in the season. In September, he, he seemed like a goner. Uh, but, but over the course of the season, that Virginia team definitely, uh, improved. So, you know, I think he's on much more, uh, solid ground. So, so that's the look at the hot seat situation in terms of coach of the year. Now this, now this is interesting, you know, for most of the year I was, you know, I was playing the Brom concerto. Uh, I was, uh, firmly of the view that Jeff Brom was doing the best coaching job in the ACC. So if you asked me in mid, mid November, who is the ACC coach of the year? Brom, clear, slam dunk. But then what happened? Jordan Travis gets injured. 
Florida State has to go into battle in those last few games uh, with second and third string quarterbacks who were nowhere close to Jordan Travis in terms of overall quality. And yet the Seminoles still managed to win in Gainesville in the swamp and they managed to beat Louisville in the ACC championship game. Uh, I think we have to recognize just how hard Mike Norvell coached his guys uh, this season and getting them those last two wins um, without Jordan Travis. That's an amazing job. And, you know, while Norvell was getting those two wins with, you know, a severe handicap, uh, Louisville, you know, uh, floundered at the very end with some really bad turnovers and mistakes against Kentucky. And then another impotent offensive performance, uh, in the ACC championship game. And I know that, you know, Jack Plummer, uh, is not a particularly good quarterback and, and it, and it is incredibly impressive that Jeff Braun was able to win 10 games with Jack Plummer as his quarterback. I mean, I'm a huge Jeff Braun fan was a, fan of his before he even came to Louisville, you know, what he did at Purdue, getting all those upsets of top five teams, you know, beating Ohio State, beating uh, Mel Tucker's Michigan State, uh, you know, get, be, his ability to knock off top five ranked teams at Purdue. Like that that showed everyone what Jeff Brown was capable of as a head coach. And I thought he would do really well at Louisville, but I didn't see this coming in year one. I did not think he would get 10 wins. I did not think that Louisville would be in the ACC championship game, I didn't think Louisville would be in the mix for the Orange Bowl. And, of course, the, again, the Florida State snub robbed Louisville of that Orange Bowl bid. So Brom was great. Brom was tremendous. But the last two games for Louisville plus the last two games for Florida State without Jordan Travis, that's enough to make Mike Norvell the ACC Coach of the Year, in my estimation. All right. Great stuff, Matt, uh, Matthew, you have something you wanted to add here on this one? I, I do. Matt, I think I agree with everything you said there. I, I did sense a little frustration from Virginia fans when they were playing, because uh, they had a lot of progress. You're absolutely right, but I, I sensed some frustration from the beatdown that they took from Virginia Tech. I mean, that was Virginia Tech scored the most points that they ever have in the history of the Commonwealth. In fact, that's either team in the history of the Commonwealth. And you're right that, I mean, Matt, you're right, Matt. I mean, Virginia Tech's made a huge leap, but I sense some frustration. I mean, would you would you argue that perhaps next year is an extremely important year for for for, for, for Tony Bennett? Or Tony, I said Tony Bennett. <laughs> Tony Elliott, excuse me. My gosh. I'm already I already have my mind on hoops. Would you sense would you sense that's the case? You know, it, next year is very important for Tony Bennett, but it, but it is also important for Tony Elliott as well. I mean, I think I think Tony Elliott and Virginia next year, you're certainly thinking bowl game. I think you know, get get to six wins, get a bowl bid, or at least if you don't get a bowl bid, you come really really close, and you're and you're always in games against the upper half of the conference. I think that really should be. The expectation, and I think you know, based on the growth that we saw from the Cavaliers uh, over the course of the season, you know, they they led Louisville, uh, lost that game late. You know, they battled uh, Miami in Miami uh, on even terms, like they were extremely competitive uh, in ACC play. Uh, obviously, in, you know, when they won at North Carolina, 
It's a total shocker. I think they were like a 23-point underdog in that game, something like that. I mean, if this carries over into 2024, you know, Virginia should be fine. The obvious worry is if it doesn't carry over and we see regression, well, then Tony Elliott's uh, hot seat is going to be in flames once again. But I think that, you know, what you saw from Virginia the, in in from mid-October through the end of the season, um, you know, it certainly points to an upward trajectory. So I would be surprised if we saw regression. But if that regression does occur, uh, and, and if I am surprised, well, then, then Tony Elliott uh, could be in a little bit of trouble. But there's no question. Like, he needs to make a bowl game next year to for uh, who fans to, to think that this program is continuing on the right track. Amen. I agree with everything you said. I'm going to run through their schedule with you really quickly because I'm I'm having a hard time finding six wins. They're going to play – they open with the Richmond Spiders – I always consider that a 50-50 game. I think I think Virginia should win that, but they're playing Maryland at home. Then they go to Coastal Carolina. Then they go to Notre Dame. They have Clemson on the road. They go to on the road to Pitt. They have Boston College at home. They got they have Louisville at home. They have North Carolina at home. They have SMU at home. And they have Wake on the road and they close the season at Virginia Tech. I'm having a hard time finding six wins in there. Well, I think, you know, the in the first three games of the season, uh, you know, like th those should be wins because like Coastal Carolina isn't what it was under uh, Jamie Chadwell. Uh, and so like but it's but it's going to be absolutely essential for Virginia to win those early non-conference games because, yeah, the ACC schedule that is that is nasty. I would say that SMU looks like a win opportunity. Uh, and definitely the Boston College game, we'll, we'll, we'll really need to get that one. So I, I, I'm, you know, l laying out that schedule as you did. I think there's definitely five wins there. Six might be the 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 the, the tough one, but uh, you know, Virginia should be able to get at least five from that. Fair enough. Fair enough. They, I, I'm. It, it would be good for the conference if they got to a bowl. bowl got to a bowl. I have quite. I have questions. I have questions at times with. Uh, with I just have questions at times with Virginia because they, they took, they took such a collapse against Virginia Tech. Now some of that has to do. I mean, you know, I'm trying to be very objective here, right? I mean, they took such a collapse against Virginia Tech that I was surprised. Some of that has to do with Virginia Tech being extremely well prepared. I didn't. Ex I didn't expect a blowout like that myself. As much like I didn't expect Virginia Tech to blow out Vermont and hoops the other night. So there are things that surprised me as well, Matt. But I think you analyzed that very well. That's all I have there. The very, very. That's why we have you here, Matt. Very good work coming on. Very work, and we appreciate you coming on, Jeff. Over to you. All right, Matt. Uh, we're going to take a look at the the ACC bowls and, and we're going to call this our a lightning round because we got 11 bowls to go through. It was, um, uh, it was a really solid season by the ACC this year. Um, 11, 11 bowl teams, uh, winning record against the big 10 and sec. Not that that, you know, matters to anyone on the selection committee, but, uh, so we're going to run through these bowl games and just get your, 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 uh, quick thought on the on the winner of that game so uh first game out of the gate 
in four days. We got the Boca Raton Bowl, Syracuse and South Florida. Who do you have winning that one? Well, you know, so Syracuse has a coaching change and a lot of instability there. So probably that's and, – and South Florida surprised everyone uh, by making a bowl game. So I would say South Florida in that one. All right. Uh, <clears throat> Friday night, the Gasparilla Bowl, uh, Georgia Tech, Central Florida. You know, I, it's a bowl game, and I think for this Georgia Tech program, it's going to be a big deal given all the struggles that this team has gone through. And, and Jeff, you know as well as I do, when, when it's a big game, Georgia Tech gets up for it. The problem is, you know, those bowling green games and uh, those, uh, those the games against teams that Georgia Tech is supposed to beat, those are the, are the games that you, you know often go south. So this is going to be treated as a big deal. So I think Georgia Tech wins because when this team is motivated, this this team can really perform. All right, well said. Uh, the Birmingham Bowl, Duke and Troy. You know, so so Duke's in the middle of uh, both coaching and personnel changes, um, but but I think that Duke physically is is strong enough. Uh, up front uh, to be able to uh, control the line of scrimmage and beat Troy. All right. Moving on to the military bowl on December 27th. I know Matt, um, my co-host here is greatly interested in your prediction with Virginia tech and Tulane. Well, you know, and Tulane loses Willie Fritz and, and Virginia tech, as I mentioned earlier, like the, like that program made a lot of progress this season. So this is like that catapult, you know, to use the bowl game as your catapult into spring ball and the off season. I think this game definitely lines up well for the Hokies. All right. Uh, Duke's Mayo bowl. They're in Charlotte, North Carolina and West Virginia. Uh, really one of the better, more fun uh, matchups uh, in the bowl season. Like this would have been a great uh, bowl game in like 1982. Uh, with Don Nealon and Dick Crum, uh, you know, at, at a point in time, a previous point in time when both uh, schools had good football programs, um, I'm going to go with West Virginia. I think that you know, after the disappointing season that Mac Brown had, and you know, we've seen this movie before. North Carolina goes through a disappointing regular season and doesn't get it up for the bowl game. I believe that North Carolina lost to uh, South Carolina. Uh, in Charlotte in the bowl game uh, a couple years ago. So I'm 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 thinking the the, the same scenario is going to play out. So West Virginia. All right. Uh, moving on to the Holiday Bowl, and I'm sure you have some insight here on a Caleb Williamless USC team playing Louisville. And isn't and that's the whole ball game, right? No, Caleb Williams, Miller Moss uh, is is the name of uh, the quarterback who's going to get most of the snaps for USC. You might also see Malachi Nelson, uh, the third stringer, uh, get some snaps. But it's going to be mostly this is going to be Miller Moss's audition to see if he can be QB one. And you know, R Lincoln Riley uh, has paid a visit to Kansas State uh, transfer portal quarterback Will Howard. Um, we haven't yet gotten uh, news on you know who's going to be USC's portal quarterback, but there's been speculation around Will Howard, also Malik Murphy, uh, who is a Southern California product, but you know he transferred out of uh, Texas. Cam Ward of Washington State as well. So we don't know how that's going to go down, but 
this is Miller Moss's audition. Uh, and actually, it, it's both an audition for uh, the USC quarterback room, but also for like the spring transfer portal window. You know, it could be that Miller Moss transfers out uh, in April after spring ball. This is a time for him to put some plays on tape for other schools and for other uh, scouts. So it's really going to be interesting to see what happens, but I'm certainly skeptical that Miller Moss can win this game for USC. I would take Louisville and a very good UL defense in this game. All right. Now we're looking at the Fenway Bowl, Boston College and SMU. Uh, I'm going to go with Boston College. I think, you know, with Jeff Halfley bringing that team along over the course of the season. And of course, the Fenway Bowl, like they're, they're, it's going to be a home game. So uh, I, I, I think uh, Boston College can put up a winning effort here. All right. Um, your hot seat coach, Mario Cristobal, Miami, playing Rutgers in the Pinstripe Bowl. So Mario Cristobal and Greg Schiano know each other well. Greg Schiano has been a Miami assistant uh, in the past. So, so like this is going to be a very rough and tumble, rugged game. You're going to see a lot of running between the tackles. Um, I, I think the main thing here is I would take the under. <laughs> I think you're going to get a very low-scoring game here. It's hard to pick a winner, but I think it's just going to be like a 16-13 rock fight type game i'm going to give the edge to uh to uh Rutgers. i just think uh, miami going north and Rutgers having a good crowd at yankee stadium that's pro- probably give Rutgers a slight edge there all right um so this is one of my favorite games uh of the bowl season the pop tarts bowl uh, north carolina state and kansas state yeah, so, you know, uh, two really good coaches here. You know, Dave Doran, you know, he was on the hot seat, as we know, at North Carolina State in, in previous years. But, you know, the guy wins eight games pretty consistently at a place where it's not easy to do that, where not many people who have preceded him uh, have done that. You know, Dave Doran's good. Now, Dave Doran needs to get an elite quarterback, and we could say that about some other coaches. I mean, if Dave Doran could ever get his hands on a top-tier quarterback, maybe State could reach uh, the next level. But even then, like, he's really good. He knows how to get really good defensive players uh, into his program. And, of course, Tony Gibson, uh, his defensive coordinator, is one of the best defensive coordinators uh, in the country, a big reason for North Carolina State's uh, success. Uh, but Chris Kleiman, an, another really good coach. So this is this is a, this one's particularly difficult uh, to call. Um, but I'm going to go with Kansas State in this game. All right, a couple more to look at really quickly: the Gator Bowl, uh, Tax Slayer Bowl, uh, Clemson versus Kentucky. You know, so Clemson got up for Notre Dame. Clemson got up for South Carolina. You know, Clemson was. Like Clemson struggled, and Clemson wasn't all that good, but Clemson never really quit on Dabo. I mean, th- those guys played hard for him the whole way. And so in a bowl game with a month to prepare, I think you're going to see the good side of Clemson. Clemson beats Kentucky. All right, and then we finish off with the uh, Nobody Wants to Be There or Cares Bowl, the Florida State Seminoles and Georgia Bulldogs playing on the Orange Bowl. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we can all we can all just be honest and say that you know, no Jordan Travis against Georgia. Uh, that's 
That's really pretty simple, but it doesn't change, of course, the reality that Florida State should be in the playoff and was extremely wronged, and Florida State should be raising hell about it uh, till the end of time. All right, outstanding there, Matt. All right, I'm going to turn over to Matthew now as we start closing out the podcast with our last few questions. Matt, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be. You've been awesome tonight. We love having you come on this podcast at the end of the season. So FCS title, man, it's really, really gonna be a good game. I think this. I mean, like, if you ever think that you want to stop watching like a bowl game that you think is non-competitive or a rock fight or something like that, make sure you rerun this game because South Dakota State and Montana is gonna be a heck of a game. I did pick South Dakota State to win the title at the very beginning of the year, and they are in Frisco. Montana gave an NDSU. That was just an incredible matchup. It was one of the best college football games I've seen all year at any level. And you had two heavyweights get out of there. I mean, it was pretty great seeing a class act there. And Bobby, how give you know give credit to Matt Ants, who's going off to USC, who you're covering, and you wrote a story about I want to get get your take here on the FCS title game and, and really what your thoughts are on Matt Zemek Matt, Matt Zemek here on on Matt Entz coming to USC. The floor is yours. Yeah, Matt Entz. I mean, you know, who would have predicted this? Um, but it's notable that Lincoln Riley is convincing Matt Entz to leave his position at the head of a, a dynastic program. You know, I mean, I, I, I've said this on my other USC YouTube shows and other media shows that I that I do uh, in conjunction with Trojans Wire and USC football. I've made the point, you know, it doesn't matter where you're king. You know, you can be king of Fargo. You could be king of New York. You could be king of Miami. Just being the king anywhere like that's not something you should easily give up. You know, like like you're no you're never going to pay for a meal. You're never going to pay for a drink. You know, everyone's going to kiss the ring. Um, you know, you're royalty uh, wherever you are. When you when you attain, you know, multinational championship status and, and prestige, to walk away from that, you need to be really sold on something. So it's, it's remarkable that Lincoln Riley, uh, who really has not cared all that much about defense in his career, because if you care about defense, you wouldn't have held on to Alex Grinch as long as he did. But Lincoln Riley now seems to have finally had this epiphany where, okay, I need to really get serious about defense. And he go and he looks to North Dakota State and Matt Enns. Like, what made him do that? I mean, I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm impressed, but I'm also surprised. Like, where did this come from? And I'm also surprised that Matt Enns was willing to jump into this thing. Like, you know, he left uh, a dynasty um, to, to be a linebacker coach and a defensive assistant at USC. So it's really, really rather amazing that that uh, happened. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly I think USC got a, got a keeper. I think USC's really uh, upgraded its staff, and it certainly bodes well for the Trojans going into um, the Big Ten. You know, and they get, a, they get a strong, you know, ethos in terms of Midwestern toughness and physicality and resilience. Like, it's, just, it's exactly what the doctor ordered for USC heading into uh, the Big Ten. And in terms of the FCS uh, outlook and overview, you know, I wasn't, uh, I was watching, you know, some college basketball like Georgia Tech, Penn State, and and uh, other uh, various other games. Also, you know, the Vikings Bengals game. And, you know, there was a lot going on on Saturday. But I had, uh, you know, in my two TV setup in my living room, I had uh, the North Dakota State 
Montana game on one of them. Yeah, that was that was a big boy football game. That was, you know, fasten your fasten your chin strap, you know, buckle up. You're you're gonna you're gonna need to bring it on every single play, it, not for the faint of heart. That that was that was indeed an outstanding game. Like what what you said uh, about that game, I know that you also commented on it on Twitter. Totally totally correct. So, you know, for Montana to come through that test against, you know, the gold standard in the FCS, it's really hard for me to pick against Montana uh, at this point in the FCS. That's an excellent pick. I don't think you can go wrong. So, CFB playoff picks. I know that we, <laughs> we had a huge discussion on here about somebody who shouldn't have been left out. And you're absolutely, absolutely right about it. But give us your CFB playoff picks, Matt. Yeah, so first off, I want to say for all ACC fans listening into the All Sports Discussion uh, ACC Weekly Podcast, uh, and especially Florida State fans, I want to say this for all of you. In solidarity with the ACC and with Florida State and its coaches and players in particular, I'm going to be boycotting these games. I'm not going to watch them. I'm not going to comment on them. Um, like, I'm not going to give ESPN my viewership. Uh, and I know that pe some people might say, you know, Matt, you should just enjoy the games, man. It's New Year's Day. It's the Rose Bowl. Hey, I grew grown up in, in the West, Phoenix and Seattle. Like, I cherish the Rose Bowl. I, I view the Rose Bowl as, well, not quite sacred, but like, you know, definitely a very special part of my life, uh, my cultural upbringing and, and part of the history and the romance of college football. Look, I love the Rose Bowl. I cherish it. Uh, there are a few things I love more than the Rose Bowl, but because of this corrupt ESPN uh, process, I will not be watching or commenting on uh, these games in solidarity uh, with um, Florida State. So I want to get that out of the way. But now in terms of pick, picking these games and just, you know, talking football and predicting how these games are likely to, to unfold, I'm going to take Alabama. And, uh, you know, Michigan has to prove it against an SEC team uh, in a big-time game on a big stage. Like, And Michigan got its doors blown off, not just by Georgia two years ago in the Orange Bowl, but by TCU last year uh, in the Fiesta Bowl. And Alabama has come a long way. Uh, you know, was better than Georgia. Jalen Milrow is going to be awfully difficult for Michigan to handle. And, you know, Michigan was able to contain Kyle McCord. Kyle McCord is not a running threat. Jalen Milrow is a, a big-time running threat. Uh, it's going to be a kind of quarterback that Michigan just hasn't seen, and I think Alabama's defense can certainly limit J.J. McCarthy. And let's remember about J.J. McCarthy. You know, Michigan did not throw a forward pass in the last two-and-a-half quarters against Penn State. Uh, the, the, the last pass Michigan threw against Penn State in Happy Valley was at 741 in the uh, second quarter, 741 before halftime. Did not throw a single forward pass in the second half, and that's because Penn State's uh, offense was trash. Um, and Alabama's offense is certainly a lot better than what Penn State brings to the table. It's better than what Ohio State brings to the table, even with Marvin Harrison Jr., because Kyle McCord... You know, and, and Kyle McCord transferring to Syracuse and no disrespect intended to Syracuse, but like if you're an elite quarterback, 
you're transferring to Texas, you're transferring to Oklahoma, you're not transferring to Syracuse. And so that itself was revealing that Kyle McCord uh, was not, it did not belong in the conversation for big time quarterbacks. Michigan benefited in the Big Ten from facing a lot of mediocre offenses. Alabama is better than, than that standard of mediocrity. So give me Alabama and Nick Saban over Michigan and Jim Harbaugh in the Rose Bowl. Now, uh, the Sugar Bowl, let's remember that Washington and Texas played in the Alamo Bowl one year ago, uh, and that was in San Antonio. So, like, Texas had the partisan crowd. Didn't matter. Washington was better. Washington controlled that game, and I expect the same thing here. And one thing we, we need to mention, Romo Dunze, uh, the uh, lead receiver for Washington, I don't know if uh, a, a lot of your ACC listeners know this, he was playing with cracked ribs for a good portion of the season. And he was playing with a, with those cracked ribs in the Oregon game in not the, I mean, in not the Pac-12 changing game, but the, the first game on October 14th in the middle of the season, that is one really tough kid. And that speaks to the kind of toughness uh, that Washington has cultivated under Kalen DeBoer. You know, Washington didn't play great in the final month of the season. You know, Washington was just scraping by, led Stanford by only two points early in the fourth quarter, uh, you know, didn't score an offensive touchdown against Arizona State, uh, got shut out in the uh, second half at Oregon State. Like a lot of really bumpy rides, a lot of really difficult games. Uh, gave up 42 points to USC, but won all of them. Won all of them. You know, it like usually you have that one night when you know so many things go wrong and you and you're just not there you just don't have the, the mustard on your fastball and you know you it the, the opportunity slips through your fingers washington you know you sometimes it was the offense being terrible sometimes it was the defense being terrible you know washington had at least one side of the ball struggling in just about every game it played in november but it managed to win. You know, the other two phases of the team, um, the other sides of the ball were able to pick up the one part of the of the team that wasn't performing well. So that is a very mentally tough team. And, you know, Texas is really good, and Texas certainly took advantage of this situation in the Big 12 with, uh, you know, a lot of teams struggling. But I think that the challenges that Washington went through in the Pac-12 and beating a very good Oregon team twice. Let's remember that Texas did not beat Oklahoma, uh, its main challenger in the conference. Um, I, th I think that Washington is a tougher, better team uh, than Texas. So give me Washington over Texas. And then we would have in the title game uh, a rematch of the 2016 Peach Bowl, Washington, Alabama. And of course, in that 2016 Peach Bowl, who was Washington's quarterback? Jake Browning, who's had this uh, remarkable, unlikely uh, emergence with the Cincinnati Bengals in the NFL. Um, so Washington and Alabama would be a very interesting uh, national championship game. But, you know, the Pac-12 team against Nick Saban and the SEC, I mean, Washington could, could certainly win that game. But in terms of, you know, if you're going to bet money on a game, if you're going to say, I really trust this team, how does the story usually end in college football? We know how the story ends. So I would, you know, hey, I've lived in Seattle for, you know, uh, almost half of my life. I would certainly love to see Washington win the whole thing. 
But if you're asking me who's going to win, it's probably going to be Mr. Saban because he has a way of of uh, lifting that crystal trophy uh, when when everything uh, uh, settles itself out. Outstanding analysis. I have nothing. I have nothing to add there. I I love uh, I love Michael Penix Jr. at at, at quarterback, and I I I've, I think sometimes he does magic, and maybe he can find a way to do magic. You know, I lived out there around the same time you did Matt and it's they I I, I there's one follow-up I want to ask you it they must I mean the town ta- the city's alive when Washington is amazing at, at football out there right I mean it's just crazy this year right you'd have to think it'd have to be nuts absolutely no they they love their football up there and of course with the Seahawks struggling I mean Washington really was able to become numero uno in town and people are also depressed up there in Seattle about the Mariners. You know, the Mariners are trading away their good baseball players because they're pinching pennies on uh, the ownership group, you know, uh, isn't going to sell. Um, and the, and the Kraken are going through a difficult time, uh, in, in the NHL. So Husky football is the thing in Seattle right now. Uh, the Huskies are the undisputed King of the mountain on Montlake. Uh, so you know it's definitely a frenzied atmosphere up there. Outstanding, outstanding. So, Matt, thanks again for joining us on the All Sports Discussion ACC Podcast. It's always great to have you start the beginning of the year with us and end the year with us, man. So I'm, we're just going to ask you a real quick question. What are you thankful for, thankful for, Matt? You know what? I'm thankful for you guys. I'm thankful for the All Sports Discussion ACC weekly podcast you guys are such good friends uh such good partners you've been very very good to me i always enjoy and cherish uh this opportunity uh i'd also like to say that you know i'm thankful just for having a job that i love you know uh being able to love what you do sports writing podcasting you know um like i'm not i'm not getting massively rich on these things but like when i wake up like I, I'm interested in what I do. I have fun with it, and uh, I know a lot of other people don't have that that same situation. Um, and you know, when we contemplate the other events that are taking place in the world, you know, I realize I'm 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 really very blessed. I'm very very lucky to have uh, what I have, and I'm going to try and pay it forward and give it back to other people the best I can. Outstanding take, Jeff. You're up, friend. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm thankful that um, you know Matt has just educated us on this podcast like he does every year. I thoroughly enjoyed um, his analysis and his insight into you know the ACC, the college football playoffs. Just just great stuff. Um, kind of piggybacking on a little bit of what he said. I'm thankful I'm a big college basketball fan because I pretty much checked out of college football for the same reason. Uh, Matt's talking about the playoffs. I don't think I watched. Usually, I'll watch a lot of the bowls. I, I mean, I'm definitely a fifty-fifty guy when it comes to basketball and and football. You know, I, I'm I'm, and I'm definitely starting to lean more towards the the, the basketball. But I I totally checked out of football uh, this weekend, and I'm my enthusiasm for the postseason is is probably as low as it's it's ever been. Um, 
but there were so many college basketball great games this weekend and we talked a little bit about it at the beginning i mean kentucky north carolina was a great game uh memphis uh clemson i mean that looked like an elite eight matchup sweet 16 type matchup that was a high level game with two really good basketball teams um I watched the Georgia Tech game with Penn State. Um, didn't quite have the feel of the other twos in terms of quality, but those those are still two teams, you know, that are looking to try to make the that the post postseason maybe more as you know fringe NCAA teams or, or NIT, but still a very highly competitive game, um, you know, between two teams that had shown flashes. That have shown flashes at times of being, you know, pretty pretty darn good. Penn State, you know, came back from double digits against Ohio State just a few days before, and Georgia Tech's already beat Mississippi State um, and Duke when they were ranked. So, I mean, I I watched a lot of college basketball and kind of just checked out from from football. So I'm, I hear you, man. I'm thankful, I'm thankful that I'm just as big as a college foot a college basketball fan, and maybe even more so going forward. Um, it's, it's hard for me to watch a, a sport that I feel doesn't have a lot of integrity to it. <laughs> what it's become, I'm afraid to say, I don't know. I, I think we got just my kind of my feeling on what happened with the football. And I, I don't think it's, it can be said enough. I saw someone on Twitter say like, look, it's been two weeks. Let it go. I, I don't think this is something that should be let, let go of. 100%. Yeah. It, it speaks to the core of the integrity of the of the sport. In my opinion, this is as bad as you go back to the 1980s when, when it was just like rampant, you know, steroid use in, in, in college athletics and in athletics. I, I think it's that kind of thing that undercuts the, the whole sport, you know, as being credible and having the integrity, you know, is it fair competition going on? And um, yeah, I don't think, I don't think, we, I think we could, should continue to talk about it. You know, and, and, and until I would say even until the next playoffs uh, come out, at least. But I know that's my take. I'm still going to you know, find a way to to, to enjoy sports and thoroughly enjoying um, December basketball. And if, if you're not watching December basketball and just wait until March, you're really missing out. Totally agree. And I would just add the point that, you know, in college basketball, Florida Atlantic in Loyola, Chicago, and you know Miami and San Diego State, they all get a chance. And it doesn't mean they're going to win, but they all get their chance to prove themselves. And that I just you know every year I love that more and more and more about college basketball and college football is exactly the opposite of that. And it yep. underscores everything that you said. Totally agree with you, Matt. And, and where a team like Connecticut, um, who's not part of one of the bigger mega contract, media right contract, you know, conferences, they're the best team I've seen this season. Uh, they they yep. may not be the, the um, you know, I thought I would put them up there with, with Arizona, but we saw what happened to Purdue. Purdue has been out, outstanding this year, and Kansas has been very good. But for my money, uh, Connecticut's the best team I've seen, which carries over from them winning the national championship last year. Absolutely. No, and I mean, Connecticut just went up to Gonzaga and Spokane and made its statement. So, yeah, there's no doubt in my mind UConn's the best team in the country. 
I'm with you all. This is Matthew here. I'm with you all. I'll just tell you brief, tell you briefly. I mean, this is Jeff. It's hard to th- hard to believe this, but this is episode. I think you know, we're in the 480s now. I think this may be episode 482. So we're going to hit 500 episodes of the All Sports Discussion ACC podcast in 2024, and it's it's hard to keep the longevity going on a podcast like this. But I, I think it's pretty great that we've done it, and we can't do it without the great guests that we have on the on the on this show. And we appreciate you coming on this show, show Matt, Matt, Matt. So Mer- Merry Christmas, best wishes for a happy New Year, and thanks again for coming on, Matt. Same to you guys. And I would say if you're hitting 500 episodes, that means that you've been doing this for more than 10 years. Congratulations, guys. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. All right. Well, have a great week, guys, and best wishes ahead for a great holiday season. Take care.